I'm Justin Fiaconi, and this is Policy Talks. On Monday, September 18th, the Prime Minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau, stood before the House of Commons and alleged that agents of the Indian government carried out the assassination of Canadian national and Sikh leader Hardeep Singh Nijar, which took place outside of a Sikh temple on June 18, 2023 in Surrey, BC. The government of India has since called the accusations absurd, even accusing Canada of harboring Khalistani terrorists and extremists, which they say present a threat to India's sovereignty and territorial integrity. Since then, the two countries have each expelled senior diplomats and the Indian government has even suspended visa services to Canadians. The growing diplomatic tensions between Canada and India are of particular concern to Canadians of Indian descent, the Sikh diaspora in Canada, and to both Canadians and Indians working and studying in each other's countries. Joined with me to discuss this issue is Dr. Roland Paris. Roland Paris is a professor of international affairs and director of the Graduate School of Public and International Affairs at the University of Ottawa. He's also an associate fellow of Chatham House, and he's served several times in the Canadian government, most recently as Justin Trudeau's first foreign policy advisor in the Prime Minister's office. Professor Paris writes about international security and foreign policy issues. His research has won numerous awards, and he provides expert commentary on world affairs for national and international media. brief reminder to our followers and listeners that the opinions discussed today are reflective of the individual person expressing them and do not reflect the views of the interviewer, iAffairs Canada, the Canadian Foreign Policy Journal, or the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs. Now let's dive into the show. Hi, Dr. Paris. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. It's uh, been a busy week for Canadian diplomacy, hasn't it? Well, it sure has between these revelations or allegations about the uh, India's possible role in the uh, murder in British Columbia and then uh, the president of Ukraine's uh, visit and then uh, all the aftermath of that episode in the House of Commons. Yeah, it's been it's been a very busy week for those of us who are interested in Canada's foreign policy. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so to help us understand the, the magnitude of this issue, um, if these allegations are, are true, uh, it means that a foreign government was involved in carrying out an assassination of a Canadian citizen on Canadian soil, grossly violating Canada's state sovereignty. Can you explain to our listeners just how significant an allegation this is? And to what extent does this raise concerns over our own government's ability to protect our own sovereignty? Well, it's a really troubling allegation on a number of different fronts. First off, and let's just assume for the moment that the allegations are true. We do not have the uh, the intelligence information hasn't been released. Uh, what we have is the Canadian government saying that the they have credible reasons to believe that uh, Indian agents were um, somehow behind this uh, this murder. If 
if that's true, then first of all, you have what appears to be an extrajudicial killing. So a murder that has taken place outside of a judicial process. On top of that, you have an extraterritorial extrajudicial murder. So it would be that kind of murder taking place outside of the, your own territory, inside the territory of another country. So you, what you have here is, is uh, you know, a compounded uh, problem where Canada's viol uh, sovereignty uh, would have been violated if this is true and um, that a murder has taken place that's been sponsored by another state. That's, you know, countries accuse each other of interfering in each other's domestic affairs all the time, but going and killing the citizen of another country inside that other country is um, something else. It's really quite, um, quite a fascinating and troubling um, revelation or allegation. Um, how significant is it for a prime minister uh, to stand in front of the House of Commons and make these sorts of allegations? And what is the sort of thought process behind such an action? And is there any precedent um, for sharing this kind of national security intelligence on, a, on such a public stage? Well, by making this announcement in the House of Commons clearly is signifying the importance of the information that the prime minister wanted to announce. Uh, he wanted to announce it to Canadians. Uh, he wanted to announce it within our parliament. Uh, you know, this was not information that was just mentioned in a press conference. Uh, he was clearly um, underscoring the seriousness of the announcement. And with regard to uh, whether it's there are precedents for this, well, there really hasn't been a lot of intelligence information released. What um, has been stated is the conclusion from that intelligence information. And um, the entire episode is unprecedented in Canada. So uh, it's hard to think of a, a similar uh, circumstance to compare it to. So just circling back to this, this question um, of sort of not publicly offering any uh, credible intelligence, more so the conclusion, um, would you say that the government has been transparent in this issue and do you think they could be more transparent? You know, that's it's a really difficult question to answer without um, knowing what the circumstances are regarding that information. Let me explain what I mean. Um, <clears throat> one consideration that the government would have, any government, uh, when it considers releasing intelligence information is inadvertently disclosing the sources of that information. So people who might have provided that information, whose identity could be deduced from the information itself and who might themselves be put at um, serious risk or methods of collecting the information, <clears throat> excuse me. So uh, intelligence agencies and governments don't necessarily want to reveal um, the way in which uh, they might be uh, gathering information. And then on in this case, there's this second uh, consideration of the relationship between the information and an ongoing criminal investigation that's being led by the RCMP in British Columbia. Now, I'm not a lawyer, so um, I'm doubly disadvantaged not knowing what the information is and not really knowing 
uh, how a criminal investigation might be uh, affected by the release of certain kinds of information. But I would assume that those two things would be uh, part of any discussion. There might be another um, element here too, which is it's possible, it's been reported that some of this information came from Five Eyes, from a, one or more Five Eyes allies. And in principle, the, that information can't be shared by the ally that it's being shared with can't be shared publicly without the permission of the of the country that collected it. Um, you know, but on the other hand, the government of Canada now is in a little bit of a of a of a tight spot because it has in effect announced the conclusion that there's credible uh grounds to believe that Indian agents were involved in this murder. Um, but it hasn't released the detailed information and um, it is, in effect, allowed people to come back, the government of India, to say that this is that this is to categorically deny this, and and I think it's quite it is reasonable for people to to ask the question. So, what is the information behind this? Perhaps that will come out. Um, perhaps it will come out in the course of a criminal trial. So, I I happen to I suspect that that this information will eventually make it into the public uh, forum in one form or another. Um, when, who knows, and exactly what, who knows. That would be, that would be very fascinating um, to sort of learn of, of what that would consist of. And staying on this theme of Five Eyes, um, the Intelligence Alliance, um, to what extent do you think the informed accusations would put pressure on other alliance members to condemn the alleged involvement of the government of India in the killing of Hardeep Singh Nijar if uh, the, the evidence provided is, um, proves um, guilt. Well, we know what they've said so far. If you look at the statements from either the White House uh, or the Australians or the British, um, our closest allies have essentially expressed concern at the allegations and um, and called on all parties, including the Indians, to participate and to cooperate and uh, get at the get to the bottom of this. Uh, but they've been circumspect, uh, cautious statements, somewhat uh, tepid, depending varying from country to country. Uh, you know, the the Americans uh, have clarified their position and responded to questions about whether or not they're taking this seriously. And they've said, yes, we're absolutely taking this seriously. The British, um, to my knowledge, the prime, British prime minister hasn't commented on this. I might be wrong about that. But the initial reaction was from the British foreign minister who essentially said these uh, you know the allegations raised are disturbing and you know, there needs to be further uh, investigation into this he didn't use the word india in that statement um so the our allies have been cautious so far and, and um it's a little bit um of a contrast to a situation a few years ago in Britain when um, when there was a murder that was uh, that was that the British government pegged on Russian intelligence services and at that time Britain's allies were very vocal 
coming to Britain's support and condemning this, condemning Russia for its role. Canada was one of those allies. But the situation here is somewhat different because it's not Russia, it's India. And uh, all of these countries, for that matter, including Canada up until recently, have been seeking to strengthen their relations with India, both for economic reasons and also strategic reasons, because partly because uh, India is a potential partner in counterbalancing China and the region. So it is a, a awkward situation for our allies. And uh, I think that they probably don't want to have to deal with it if they don't have to. But if there were, to get back to your question, more details uh, that came to light, I think it would be more difficult for them um, not to take a clearer stand on this. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, so moving to the sort of relationship uh, between uh, Canadian leader Prime Minister Trudeau and, and uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi, um, we've all kind of seen the rather frosty looking photos from the G20 summit a few weeks ago in India. Um, in light of the recent context, it makes perfect sense why there would be tension between the two leaders. Um, in trying to gauge what their meetings were like, what could be made of the efforts by the Canadian government to employ, as Bob Ray terms it, quiet diplomacy? Um, of course, the tensions have escalated to the public sphere, but why was this their initial approach and what were they realistically expecting um, by approaching the issue in this way? Those are great questions. And um, we can really only uh, uh, guess as to what the approach was based on information that has been uh, released. And some of that information is that the Canadian government was uh, very actively involved in consulting with uh, its closest intelligence partners, the Five Eyes Alliance. And uh, we might presume that the information that Canada had collected was shared with those partners. Uh, it's possible that the Canadian government was seeking the support of those partners to press uh, the Indian government to take these allegations seriously before they were made public. Uh, we know that uh, at least it's been reported that uh, two of the country's most, two of Canada's most senior intelligence officials, the uh, director of CSIS, the spy agency, and the the National Security and Intelligence Advisor to the Prime Minister, who's a a, a, um, a public servant in the Privy Council office, very senior. Uh, it's been reported that both of those individuals traveled to India, and perhaps they were going there to share the information that had been collected in order to underscore the importance of it, get the attention of the Indian government. And we also know that according to uh, Justin Trudeau, I believe he himself said that he raised this directly uh, with Prime Minister Modi during the G20 summit in India a few weeks ago. So what should we take away from all of those data points, so to speak? Uh, it sure looks like the Canadian government was trying to confront the Indian government with what the Canadian government believed was evidence of the involvement of Indian agents in this murder and to get the Indian government to do something about it prior to making this public. In other words, you know, 
here's the evidence, what are you going to do about it? And without knowing more about this specific context, the evidence that was collected, perhaps there was the possibility that some parts of the Indian government were uh, operating uh, without the knowledge of all the other parts of the Indian government. I'm just guessing. I don't know. Uh, but clearly that uh, behind the scenes, quiet approach, so to speak, including trying to get allies to press the Indian government, which we can assume happened, um, did not work in the end. And uh, it's been reported, again, I don't have my own confirmation of this, that the Globe and Mail newspaper had the story about um, this intelligence information pointing to India's responsibility and was about to publish it, and that the Prime Minister made his statement uh, very shortly after that so maybe he uh he decided that uh the information was going to be if this report of this intelligence information was going to be uh, made public anyway by a media organization that he was going to um tell canadians directly himself uh what the government had concluded from this intelligence yeah, it's it's tough to, to sort of you know tell what's true in that sense, I and mean, we're not privy to those conversations, and we don't um, we don't always know. So it's it's a it's a good question, I guess. Um, now, as the the cards are on the table, so to speak, um, what can we reasonably expect from Canada in response? Um, with the government of India vehemently denying these accusations, referring to them as absurd, and with our allies hesitant to condemn the alleged actions of the government of India until more evidence and concrete information is made available, what exactly can do can Canada do in response, and what do you think they should do in response? I don't think that Canada has a lot of options available to it right now, to tell you the truth. Um, not since India has come out and basically flat um, denied these allegations. Uh, and as you know, India also then suspended the processing of uh, visas for um, Canadians seeking to, uh, to travel to India. And uh, both countries uh, kicked a diplomat out each uh, from, from, from their uh, respective missions. And, uh, you know, the um, I, I don't see the Canadian government just brushing this off. This is not the kind of thing which, if the Indian government was responsible, is just going to be forgotten and forgiven. Uh, so I think the time will come, I suspect, I don't know this for a fact, when some more of this information comes to light. And as I said before, Perhaps that'll be in the context of a criminal prosecution. Um, and, and then the entire uh, context of what India has been saying and what our allies have been saying might, uh, might be shifted. Um, in the meantime, though, there are, in a way, two uh, competing imperatives facing the Canadian government. One is to back up its assertion that India is responsible. And the second is to manage this um, diplomatic 
uh, uh, period of tension uh, so that it doesn't spin absolutely out of control. And, uh, you know, it'll be a very difficult thing to manage, but I do expect that we're going to have a period of tension in our bilateral relationship with India for some time to come. And I think that we've just seen the, I think the end of the opening act of this, of this, uh, of this drama, and that there are more acts to come. Not sure exactly what they're going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of, of this drama or the relationship between the government of Canada and India, India is one of Canada's larger trading partners and Canada's Indo-Pacific strategy is a major pillar of Canada's foreign policy for the foreseeable future and beyond. Um, in light of the allegations, how does the government of Canada balance its need for enhanced economic, social and political relations with India with the need to seek justice and reaffirm its ability to respond to an alleged major violation of its sovereignty by the world's largest democracy and emerging economic power. Yeah, that's part of the shocking dimension of this is the idea that um, the possibility that not only was this an extrajudicial um, killing and violation of Canadian sovereignty and killing of a Canadian citizen that might have been, according to the allegation perpetrated by another democracy, makes it all the more shocking. But on the trade issue, we actually don't have a really big trade relationship uh, with India. Uh, I'd have to look back at the uh, detailed statistics, but um, what I recall is, uh, I think in the last year, we had a total trade volume of um, somewhere, I think, between 13 and $14 billion. Uh, so that's not huge. I think that that's, not, that's in the same ballpark as our bilateral trade, total trade with Vietnam. It's just a fraction of our of our trade with China, even in the wake of the two Michaels incident, even in a period of uh, more distant uh, diplomatic relations with China. Uh, so uh, it's not a huge uh, part of our trading relationship. And um, nor do we have really a lot of foreign investments in India compared to some other countries. Of course, it's all just minuscule compared to our, our both our trade and investment relationship with the United States. There are some sectors of our economy that I I think are more exposed than others uh, in this trading relationship. We do, uh, I think the the uh, our exports in in pulses like lentils and chickpeas, um, you know, are significant. So what does all that mean? It means that we're not uh, terribly exposed as a country, as a whole, uh, to um, a disruption in that economic relationship. And I hope it doesn't happen, but it could very well happen. And uh, on the other hand, as you said, India is part of our Indo-Pacific strategy and trade between Canada and India has been increasing over the last few years, even from a fairly low base. And there's no question that India is described as a critical partner in the uh, recently released uh, Canadian Indo-Pacific strategy. So what does that mean? Well, um, I think that it means that 
you have to go to that strategy and put square back square brackets around the india section for now uh, we do have an economic and strategic interest in working more closely with india it's a huge country huge market and uh, it is a country that is concerned about the rise of, of Chinese uh, disruption and Chinese power and Chinese coercion in the region. And so it's for both for strategic and economic reasons that um, our allies, the United States, Australia, the UK um, and Canada have been open to a closer relationship with India. But um, you know, the, the Indo-Pacific strategy is about a lot more than one country. And the Indo-Pacific strategy doesn't uh, make India the centerpiece of that strategy. It's definitely a setback. But, you know, um, there's often discussions about how trade considerations have to be balanced and against other considerations and rail politique and human rights and values and interests. But... If India was behind the murder of a Canadian citizen in Canada, that's not the kind of thing that's going to trump trade, at least not for a long time. So uh, I think that there's, you know, that this is this is not going away, this issue. And uh, I think people are going to have long memories of this. Just touching back on, on this question of um, India's importance to Canada moving forward. Um, in any context, do you think the government of India is, is feeling more emboldened to sort of act with somewhat of an impunity towards Canada, knowing how important that relationship is to Canada moving forward? Well, again, so much depends on uh, the information that's not in the public domain. Uh, you know, most importantly, whether India was actually behind this murder, because if India was behind this murder, then that would suggest that they thought that they could get away with it, at least that they could do it with minimal cost. And and that's why it's so important that if it turns out that India was responsible, that at the very least, that there be um, crystal clear messages sent uh, from many countries indicating that um, that if India does this kind of thing that it's going to pay an enormous cost. It's the very least that we could ask of our allies given that they too are potentially subject to this kind of extra territorial extra judicial treatment of their citizens. And whether that happens or not who knows? What is the thinking in the Indian government? Who knows? But it's possible, um, again, here I'm just speculating, that some portion of the Indian government decided that other countries, Saudi Arabia, uh, Russia, to name a couple, have uh, been... Uh, targeting and apparently killing their political opponents uh, outside their countries. So why shouldn't India? Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's a calculation or a decision that's been made. I don't even know if the allegation about this murder being India being behind the murder in Canada is backed up by evidence. 
but you know, it's conceivable. You know, one of the first things that, uh, that came to mind was sort of the, any sort of parallels that um, were with this sort of instance of a alleged um, uh, government of India being responsible for the murder of um, Hardeep Singh Nijar and the Saudi Arabian um, murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, and there's a very um, yearly uh, similarity, I think, to to this um, to to those cases. Yeah, and so think for the Americans. You know, I, I was having a conversation with an uh, American-based uh, journalist today, and um, you know, asking him to consider the scenario where Khashoggi, who was a Saudi citizen living in the United States. Uh, columnists for the Washington Post, uh, who was critical of the regime in Saudi Arabia and who was killed by that uh, regime uh, when he was in Turkey, imagine that uh, Khashoggi was an American citizen and had, and had been killed in Washington, D.C. or in Chicago. Uh, you know, that's more comparable to the situation that we've been seeing here in Canada, if indeed, if, big if, the Indian government was behind that murder. Um, so taking a more humanistic perspective, um, socially, Canada and India are, are quite intertwined. Um, nearly 4% of Canada's entire population is made up of, of people from India. While there are also strong links between our educational institutions, resulting in a lot of foreign students from India temporarily in Canada, I'm sure we could all imagine, um, though in your own view as a professor at the University of Ottawa, what impact would an escalating diplomatic conflict with the government of India have on Canadians of Indian descent and those studying abroad in Canada? I hope it doesn't have too much of an impact on them. You know, we have very much benefited as a country from immigration in general and from immigration from India in particular. There's a lot of Indian, uh, young Indians in the country is studying in Canada, and many of them go on to uh, become permanent residents in this country. And I think it's um, added so much to our uh, society, and we have very vibrant uh, Indo-Canadian community. So uh, I hope this doesn't have too much of a negative impact. It, it is, um, of course, um, roiling, uh, not least because, of course, this this was uh, a uh, Canadian, a Sikh Canadian who had been targeted, and um, and there's always the risk of divisions in India that uh, can potentially cause uh, rifts within. Uh, the uh, community of Canadians of Indian origin. Um, I think this episode, potentially, if it was the Indian government was behind it, underscores the importance of something that was already under discussion in our society, which is uh, the vulnerability of diaspora uh, communities in this country to various different kinds of interference or even coercion. Uh, and that uh, conversation to date has been uh, focused mainly on uh, 
Chinese uh, community in Canada, but it's not limited to them. And uh, and uh, and certainly members of other communities have complained for some time that uh, they feel that they've been uh, subject to various different kinds of interference and coercion uh, by uh, by foreign countries. And so this is something we have to take very seriously uh, and to detect and counter uh, those kinds, that kind of interference and to all with, uh, you know, with an eye to uh, ensuring that Canadians are safe. And perhaps the government and others are becoming more aware of these kinds of dangers, but I think that it's also quite likely that the dangers have been increasing in part because uh, there are more emboldened, uh, mainly authoritarian countries out there uh, that are willing to uh, take chances, maybe thinking that they uh, can uh, can uh, they can neutralize their their uh, their political opponents without repercussions. Uh, there are also uh, technology changes that allow people that allow governments to uh, intrude into the personal lives of people. And uh, I think that the combination of those two things is making this a bigger issue for Canada. Uh, but I certainly hope that um, that this issue can remain one that's in effect between the government of Canada and the government of India. And um, it's a serious issue. I uh, don't want to see the relationship between Canada and India uh, become more tense. But uh, on the other hand, uh, if India was responsible for this murder, then somebody should be held to account. That's well said. Um, and, and finally, uh, our last question for you. Um, do you think that uh, there should be significant concerns regarding the safety and protection of Sikh individuals and communities within Canada? And what can Canada do to sort of reassure Sikh communities and groups that Canada is a safe place for them to live? Well, I think I, I spoke a little bit to that in, in, in my last answer. And I think that this is a, a question about ensuring the safety of many communities, um, including uh, Indo-Canadian communities. And that's partly a policing matter. It's partly an intelligence matter, uh, being able to detect and uh, resist or disrupt uh, foreign intelligence and interference operations in this country. Um, but you know, the notion that Canada is dangerous, which is the uh, the assertion behind uh, the Indian government's travel advisory warning to Indians seeking to visit Canada that uh, that Canada might be dangerous to Indo-Canadians. I mean, on one hand, um, it seems almost ludicrous, but uh, after a moment's thought, it's not funny. And uh, it's not funny in the context of this dispute and the issues that are at stake and the allegations that have been made. And if it turns out that India has been was behind this murder, then in in a way, it's what could be more cynical than uh, than um, perpetrating such an act and then turning around and saying that the country where it was perpetrated is dangerous, <laughs> when in fact 
it's one of the safest countries in the world. You know, the Indian government has previously issued some warnings about Canada and the Indian people have continued to come to this country. And I hope that that sense of connection uh, between the people of Canada, the people of India, and the sense that in Indian people have that they're coming to Canada is a place that's safe and it's a place that uh, that's welcoming, you know, that what that will continue regardless of what the um, the Indian, their own government might be saying about the risks of traveling to this country. Well, I couldn't think of a, a, a better way to end the podcast um, with some great sentiments there. Um, so thank you so much for your time, Dr. Paris. Uh, we appreciate you sharing your insights and expertise on, on this really um, important and topical issue. Um, do you have any final words or sentiments that you'd like to, to leave us with? Well, I would just commend you, Justin, um, and your podcast for doing what you're doing. Um, and I think it's terrific to have more and more people talking about uh, Canada's uh, international policy and the implications of international affairs for Canada. We're certainly going to need your expertise going forward. Thank you so much. Okay, bye-bye.